Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. We're heading back to the Highlands today, where I meet the storyteller and nature enthusiast Sarah Hobbs of Strathbay Story Walks. Sarah runs guided walks through the countryside of Strathspey and Bedenoch and tells stories along the way. Folk tales and histories, myths and legends, her walks connect visitors with the land and its people of the present and the past. I felt incredibly fortunate to meet Sarah during my trip to Bedenoch and get a taste of one of her story walks. Sarah also learns Gaelic, which, if that's something you're interested in, you should definitely go through our feed and listen to my conversation with Callum McLean in season three. We talk about Scottish Gaelic, and Callum shares lots of great resources to learn it. I actually started learning Gaelic on Duolingo at the start of this year, and it's really great fun. But back to my conversation with Sarah. We met on a moody day near the banks of the River Spey, and Sarah took me on a walk through the woods. Along the way, we stopped frequently so she could tell me stories about the places we passed. There were stories about trees and mushrooms, mythical creatures and historical figures. But of course, I also asked her to tell me a little bit more about herself and her work. So let's hear it from Sarah Hobbs. I'm Sarah Hobbs, um, she, her, and I run Strathspey Story Walks, which is sort of a quite informal little 
guided walks that sort of explore an area in depth really it's trying to make quite a deep connection to the exploring all the layers that exist within a place so it includes things like storytelling folklore and history and culture and a bit of Gaelic and how that links to the sort of ecology and nature and yeah with a bit of foraging as well so it's kind of exploring all of these how all of these layers interact with each other basically how does one get into storytelling <laughs> um sort of by accident i mean the walks i started a couple of years ago during the pandemic kind of as a sanity project really to stop me from going insane in the house <laughs> and just because i'd you know i'd spent a lot of time doing research i mean a lot of these things are my interests anyway and i just thought do you know what there's so much here um in terms of stories or you know folklore that and I don't see it anywhere I don't hear it anywhere and this this area Strasbay and Anbeinoch is so rich in stories that it is a shame that it isn't being shared on a regular basis and and in a way to to continue the oral tradition so that was something that was very important to me you know there are quite a lot of books but I wanted to try and continue or reinvigorate the oral tradition of stories being passed down by ear so yeah so I kind of just um <laughs> fell into it and started running walks and people really loved them and so I continued to run walks <laughs> did you have a background you know did you have a background in storytelling before or in historical research or in folklore research or where did that interest come from <laughs> I mean reading and writing were I suppose my passions from when I was very very small but in terms of storytelling it's quite interesting so I certainly not in terms of orally telling stories I didn't have much of a background in that at all but my entire working life the thread of my entire working life was basically working with communities usually minority communities or people whose voices we don't hear very often or they're quite hidden or yeah and working with them to i guess amplify their voices and their experiences in for social change for positive social change for systemic social change actually so it's strange so it's kind of a continuation of that you know all of the voices and experiences that are here and just bringing it to the fore a bit more yeah because i mean highland culture and highland folklore and mythology is something that you know had been oppressed for many years as well and had had been forbidden or had been outlawed and i guess particularly that oral tradition was vital for that to survive yeah and i think that's it's quite interesting in terms of the comparing that to for example england where there is an oral tradition but particularly in the highlands because it was so strong but it was the stories from you know everyday normal working people that was the oral tradition whereas in england for example because uh, writing had existed for so long it was always those in power who were writing and so that's what survived whereas here what survived is the stories of the ordinary working people and the songs of course and the tunes and all of those go together it's really fascinating to think about that difference between the north and the south. Yeah. And then thinking how important the Gaelic language and the Gaelic culture probably is as well in such a rural area as you walk through the countryside here and the landscape or learn about different place names. 
What I find so nice about Gaelic is that it always comes with a story and the place names aren't just descriptive or useful, they actually tell a story about the place and that captures so much of what that place meant, what people believed in and how they formed relationship with the land as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's I totally agree. It's very much here. It, it's very much the language of the land, which is what led me to, to to begin learning it in the first place. Because I wanted to know how to pronounce the things, and I wanted to know what they meant. And I totally agree. As soon as you start learning, you you realise that really there isn't a a tree or a rock or a hill. You know, a little bump that doesn't come with a story. And it's still only a snapshot of a of a particular mm. time, but it's yeah, it's extremely. They can be very descriptive, or they can be you know full on mythology, or they can be telling you something about the the previous occupants or whatever it is. Um, and it's this this amazing tapestry and of layers, and yeah, I just think it's wonderful. So we we just happen to be at a rowan tree just now and it's quite a unique rowan in that it's got three trunks and it's got two arches uh, yeah the three trunks are intertwined and it, uh, to create two arches a double arch rowan which is really really quite unusual but in terms of the link with Gaelic the original Gaelic alphabet each letter was a tree and that just I mean to me it just emphasizes how much people were linked to trees and the land and how important they were it was just such a crucial thing and rowan's a protection tree so we're on an old croft site just now so in this area in Strathspey, possibly in Baynock as well the wives of Strathspey would drive their animals through the trees twice a year at um, Bealtaine at Beltane, so May Day for good luck and protection for the coming season and then they'd move up so after Bealtaine they'd move up to the to the shealings to the summer farms um, where the grazing was good for the for the animals the, the women and the girls would do that and do all their dairy making up there for the summer and then they'd come back down at uh, Samhain or Halloween and again they would drive their animals through the tree so I suspect that this tree is here on this croft site because people were physically taking their animals through the tree wow um, for good luck it's a big gap, but big enough for... It's big enough for cattle, yeah, yeah. Wow. One, one at a time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one arch that's a decent size, and there's one arch that, yeah, you would have to be a very skinny cattle uh, cow <laughs> to get through that. I guess the cattle was maybe also smaller back in those days. Yeah, than possibly, the black cattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they certainly went... Yeah, they certainly weren't the monstrosities we see in. in, in <laughs> but if it, if it was Highland cows, then they would get stuck with their horns, I sus- no? <laughs> I suspect it wasn't Highland cows. Yeah. It was mostly black cattle in the Highlands, yeah. and that was the wealth of the Highlands, really, with these black cattle. Um, and they would drive them to markets in the south, and they would plant trees along the way as way markers, mm-hmm. particularly Scots pines, um, so they could see the way. And as a storyteller, that must be quite inspiring to then be surrounded by those kinds of landscapes and those kinds of stories the entire time. Hugely, yeah. And it's. I think a lot of it is also trying to collect... Well, collect the stories in that... I mean, a lot of them have been collected already and exist in, you know, like the archives of the Highland Folk Museum, for example, or in people's memories. I mean, yeah, because we're, we're not necessarily talking about ancient history. We're still talking about history that, you know, people's grannies would have told them or... Mm. And in books, so it's just bringing all of these things together. Oh, mushroom. I'm like, squirrel. <laughs> um, 
yeah, bringing all of these threads together into, yeah, into something that will then make sense and be memorable to people, I think, or, or just sort of prods them to think, okay, there's actually so much here that, yeah, we could just be walking through the woods right now, but actually there's a whole story about the railway, there's whole stories of these, you know, in these woods where people have lived for thousands of years in many different ways um, with the ruins and whatnot. So, yeah, there's there's lots of things. There's always lots of things. And the trees and then the, the old maps that I found of these woods and what trees used to be here. Um, and then what grows on the trees and what grows under the trees and what the trees grow with. And there's so it kind of depends what you mean by a story because all of those to me are also stories in a way mm. oh and I've just spotted a, a, a possible flyer Garrett <laughs> nice hello wild for Scotland listeners I am Fran Tarowskis and if you enjoy the storytelling episodes of wild for Scotland I want to tell you about another podcast in the Trembula network Seize Your Adventure is for people who want to explore the whole spectrum of adventure. But Seize Your Adventure is more than an adventure sports podcast, because all of the guests and storytellers throughout the series live the adventure lifestyle whilst also living with epilepsy. You'll get to hear stories about long-distance hiking, skiing in snowstorms and camping under the stars – But there are interviews that dive into the hidden aspects of taking on adventures with epilepsy. So if you're after a podcast that inspires, entertains and encourages you to take part in the adventure lifestyle, search for Seize Your Adventure in your podcast app to find out more. So how do you collect your stories? How do the stories get to you? Yeah, in lots of different ways and lots of different places. I mean, it could be when I'm out and about and I and I see something a bit odd, like the Rowan, actually. That just came from... You notice things that aren't quite right, or, or not, not that aren't quite right, but you notice things are a little bit odd in the landscape and you then you start doing more research on them. Or... You know, I might go to the archives. Um, the Highland Historical Environment Record, for example, is really useful for providing sort of the historical basis of little snippets. And then you think, oh, okay, it's mentioning this. And then you go off down about a million rabbit holes in my case. Or it could be from archives and the Highland Folk Museum, sort of letters and, and then books of all ages. Um, you know, there's the more recent ones is from more recent storytellers. And then there's also... Um, folkloric books that people started um, sort of collecting stories really in the last 100 years or so or maybe 150 and then there's sort of the older more historical books as well what do you enjoy about telling stories so for a start I only ever or I only like to tell ideally stories outdoors outside because they're most of the stories a vast majority if not all of the stories I tell are about place they're place-based they're about a specific place that we might be in now or I I can point to it on a hill or um there are trees around that link to the story and I can point to them and I can you know get you to taste something of the tree or whatever so it's just it's making all those connections and it's it's putting things in place in the landscape that people can then understand you know very much I mean, I do tell storytelling, uh, I do do storytelling indoors as well, but it's just a totally different experience. Um, yeah, so when I'm doing that and I'm pointing to everything and just the, I think the looks on people's faces, 
I just love and I don't get bored of it like I can feel like I'm like totally lighting up now like thinking of people's faces when you make things make sense to them and they see the entire landscape in a totally different way because of something you know very short that you've just been able to share with them which is very wonderful and I wouldn't I don't think I'll get bored of that yeah I think that's probably something I enjoy most about storytelling myself even though I don't tell stories outside I tell them in front of my computer and <laughs> record them in a podcast microphone but once I then layer the sound effects into it and really create that sense of place and being in that location I don't necessarily like listening back to the story and to myself but the sounds and closing my eyes and remembering what it was like in that place that's something that I love sharing and love passing on to others, whether they have been in that same place as me or not, whether they're only experiencing it through the story. It's such a lovely gift to share with people. It is, yeah, the connection. And I think, yeah, we were talking about connection a bit earlier as well. So, yeah, those connections, I mean, certainly all of the all of these stories and all of these things that I hugely change. I mean, I'm talking from a very personal perspective now, but they've hugely changed my relationship with the land, which is what I always uh, aimed for in a way. I just wanted to get to know a place very deeply and in lots of different ways and to see how all of those things interact with each other. And as soon as you know a story about a place, a particular place, let's say, it totally changes your perspective of it you feel like you know you will never see it in the same way again it changes your your literal view of it and I think that's quite important like when I was in Sky I was in Sky twice this year and I've never taken to Sky at all mm -hmm. it's really dramatic and I enjoy going every time but I had never really had a personal relationship with it and I spent four days walking and I took a book with me um from my favorite folklorist um Otto Sawyer And I had her book and her stories and they totally accompanied me on the way. So I was so, I felt so joyful, not at all alone because I had Otter, but I also had, you know, Oscar, the warrior of the Fianna, like the, one of the warriors of the Fianna and his stone, for example, or I had, you know, stories about waterfalls. So there was, there was just so many ways in which I could see the landscape, which was good because the weather was dire, um, <laughs> but it was I had the most brilliant time, even though the weather was dire. And I'm not sure that I passed so many walkers who were doing the walks, the same walk as me, but the other way. And they just looked so depressed and so <laughs> damp and so knackered and just wanted to get home. And I just felt really inspired by everything. Mm. Yeah. I think it's one thing, you know, we we can see the landscapes and as we drive through Strathsby and Bedenoch, We see all the mountains and we see all the rivers and the forest and the lochs and the glens. But that doesn't really, that's not really enough for that personal relationship. And I think the stories just put the people in it. They put the people in the landscape that we can then relate to on a very, very different level. Yeah, or or the fairies or the giants or the gods or whoever it is, you know. <laughs> but, but that's still far more tangible than just a, a bare landscape with maybe a few horses in it now or a few cattle or a, a moorland, you know. I would I would agree with that. Can I ask you, how long have you been based in this area? Yeah, so almost seven years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was the reindeer that brought me up here, actually. <laughs> well, the reindeer and the hills and the people 
Um, I just loved how Highlanders were so quiet and humble but open and friendly at the same time. It's a nice mix of people who ended up here. So yeah, I thought this was I'm quite a hill person. Um, I grew up in the hills in England and in the Peak District and then lived in Norway for a couple of years and I just always knew I wanted to be in the mountains. So yeah, that's what brought me up originally. It's a good choice. I'm sure there's going to be a few listeners who... 20 seconds ago went like, what? Reindeer? <laughs> um, yeah. Who might have never heard about the reindeer of Scotland. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the, there's a herd of reindeer that free roam uh, the Cairngorm Mountains and they were reintroduced. I mean, the, at one point reindeer lived in, the, in Scotland and in the Highlands and there was a, a Swedish Sami reindeer herder who came to Scotland on his honeymoon and he basically spent the whole of his honeymoon running around the mountains looking for reindeer because the, the landscape was so similar to where he was from in northern Sweden. And of course he didn't find any because they you know, died out hundreds of years before. But he essentially decided to reintroduce them. So since 1952 there's been reindeer running around, running around the Cairngorms. It's quite a small herd. It's sort of between, it's around 150. And they're split over two sites as well. So... Yes, actual actual reindeer in the Cairngorms. <laughs> I've never seen them. I knew they were there, but I've never actually went and gone to see them. Because you can, obviously they're free roaming, but some of them are at the reindeer centre, is that right? Yes, yeah, there's there's always some um, down in Glenmore, um, just a few. And then the rest of them will be up on the hill. And there's a big hill enclosure um, that, that they take visitors to, but then the rest of the herd are free roaming. Um, and it depends on at different times of the year. But, I mean, the Cairngorms is the only bit of Britain that's a subarctic climate, so it is the perfect environment for reindeer to live. It's the only, it's the only bit of Britain, really, where reindeer would be super happy. So, yeah, I think And it's... that is due to the plateau, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. So they're, they seem pretty happy. <laughs> they're, pretty, they're also pretty lazy. Like you, you might be able to see them on... See them from time to time on Cairngorm Car Park begging for sandwiches. <laughs> well, they're not stupid. <laughs> no, they learn, they learn quickly. They know, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow, a big group of mushrooms. Yeah, I don't know what they are, unfortunately. It almost looks like a ring, though. As in, as some sort of yeah. thing. But I don't know what they are at all. Interesting. Yeah. They're pretty... I love coming up to the Cairngorms. I don't do it as often as I would like to. Yeah. It is quite a far drive from, from Glasgow. But it's such a beautiful area and it's so different, really, than anywhere else in Scotland. Yeah. I find it so unique. And I've really thoroughly enjoyed spending time in the Badenoch area and actually staying locally and not just doing a day trip or a quick stopover. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's funny, actually, when you said that, it reminded me of... Um, I did a, a residency, I was going to say a couple of years ago. It was perhaps only last year. My, t my, my sense of time has gone really haywire since the pandemic. Anyway, possibly last year, possibly the year before, I did a residency in a wee bothy. Oh, with the bothy project. Yeah, with the bothy oh, project, cool. just in Trier, which is very, very close to Aviemore. It's perhaps, I mean, five miles max something like that and just staying in that specific place for four days or so was so totally different to Aviemore 
and the stories of that place were totally different and the the atmospheres of the place were, or the places that are on there were totally different but I you would never get that from just a day trip you have to be in a place for several days and be exploring and really get to know it and it yeah it sort of it put me in the mind to do sort of super local holidays mm. like literally just a few miles away what do you love about the Bidenoff area specifically or is there anything that you wish people knew that you would just want to tell them I think a place you very much make your own personal relationships with it and I I've found my way and I love it and I just there's always so much more to learn but I I don't presume that other people will have the same experience. <laughs> I guess I like Bainoch because it's the, the again actually even compared to Strathspey the landscapes are really different it's much more kind of um I find it much more wide open and sweeping Um, you've got the jumping off point to go up into Glanfeshi or onto the plateau or in fact well either side um, you've got some really good pubs <laughs> you've got some you know distilleries and then you've got all the stories um, and all of the it, it's just quite I don't know it's a good mix of of all things I think um, yeah That was not a good answer. No, you know what? That's a perfect answer because that's exactly what is, this is about for me um, or my work with Visit Cairngorms. It is about you can visit one area and you can see so many different aspects of Scottish yeah. culture in one location. And I think Bairnoch really has that. Yeah. But it flies so much under the radar. Yeah. People don't know, really know about it. I didn't really know about it to, yeah. my, to my shame, yeah. <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. But it's such a lovely area. Yeah, I just think I just think being just right on the edge of the Cairngorms is so dramatic. And again, from a very from a personal point of view, it, it's never the same. I mean, the weather conditions are always so different that you can look out and not see a thing. Or you can look out and you can see these dramatic wisps of cloud on top of the hills. Or you can, I mean, it's just constantly changing, which again, changes your experience. And yeah, I personally love that. And I think you do have a different element of community here as well. Because in the Western Highlands, it can very often feel like the glens are empty. And of course they aren't. And the ones that are, are so for a very good reason. And for very sad reasons. Yeah. Whereas I find here, because everything is kind of between those mountain ranges, the life that still happens all happens in that kind of valley so you, you you're kind of exposed to it in a very different way in those vibrant villages yeah there's there's quite there is a fair bit happening definitely and there's you know museums and um you know shinty. A, a bit of yeah shinty, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness and can you see just won the Kamenach cup which is very exciting but uh, i still see it as an empty landscape mm. actually Like, compared to what it was, it is mm. still an empty landscape. And yeah, it might be comparatively less empty than the West Highlands, but again, that would have been a very, very full landscape. Um, you probably, in terms of crofts and townships that used to be here, you honestly probably wouldn't walk more than five or ten minutes before you came across your neighbour, um, mm. which is quite, quite the something to think of. Yeah, in terms of... Uh, patterns of population and whatnot it is quite different that is very true hmm. 
can you tell me a little bit about the walks people can take with you and yeah, what to expect from a storytelling walk with you? Yeah, so the walks, I, I like them to be very informal and so they're really quite slow. I guess it's more of a slow adventure type thing because we're looking at things all the time or we're tasting things all the time or so yeah there there's people can book different routes I've got a route in Aviemore there's a route in Dalnavert there'll be more routes coming out by the end of the year but also equally if people want a walk in a specific place they can just ask that but it's yeah it's very much about um seasonality and you know telling stories based on the seasons and um eating what we find based on the seasons um as well so yeah we do a fair bit of tree foraging which um which is it's it's interesting because people don't often think of the trees and they're here all the time and particularly something like a scots pine the needles are there all year round so it's it's quite a good one to um needles in general so conifers conifers are really good to, to to forage because with the exception of yew which is poisonous they've all got really distinct and really quite amazing tastes well yeah some spruce less so to be fair but they're all you can try them all and they're incredibly different they're, they're all quite citrusy and then they've all got their all different like specific so there's yeah scots pines just generally quite aromatic and quite gentle there's douglas fir which is that's very aromatic that's that actually it, it's like christmas to me it's almost mm. like of tangerines you know that sort of spicy smell in the house that's like douglas fir to me there's one called western hemlock which is no relation to hemlock the plant which is it tastes a bit like grapefruit that's one of my favorites so yeah there's 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 lots of trees to eat birch leaves as well and then potentially mushrooms i don't necessarily forage for mushrooms on the on the walks but we we look at them and we ID them and we talk about them. And then depending on the season as well, we all stop. Uh, well, no, not all all year. Um, I do like a wild forage tea for people. So we'll, we'll go to a very special place, which is, yeah, sometimes it's the Neolithic Cairn or it's a fairy hill or whatever it is. And we stop and have tea. And depending on the season, it could be heather tea or it could be a needle tea, some mix of needle tea, or it could be chaga, which is the mushroom mm-hmm. that grows on birch trees, um, fungus for a little rather. Yeah, so it's it's a lots of it's a mix of different things on the walk. It's stories and history and a bit of Gaelic. Gaelic's always good. A bit of cultural, I guess, community practice. What communities would have done in terms of living with the with the seasons and with the year, with the cycles of the year. And yeah, naturey, naturey stuff. Um, good mix. <laughs> what is the best way for people to come and join you on a walk? So people can book on my website. It's storywalks.scot. And yeah, there are walks all year round, at least once a week. And otherwise, I'm on social media as Strathspey Storywalks. And people are very welcome to just drop me a message and ask me anything. Fantastic. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time today, for taking me on a walk, telling stories and sharing some of your passions for Strathspey and the Vedanuk area with us. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. It's been lovely. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much to Sarah Hobbs of Strath Spee Storywalks for taking me out on a walk on the River Spee 
and sharing so many fascinating stories with me. If you support our podcast on Patreon, you'll get to hear a few more of them in this month's bonus episode. Head to wildforscotland.com slash support to learn how to join. You can connect with Sarah on social media at Strathspace Storywalks and book onto one of her walks via her website. She's also available for private groups if you can't find a date that works for you. My conversation with Sarah was the perfect way to round off my trip to Badenoch and also our focus on the region on the podcast. If you feel inspired by last week's stories or today's chat with Sarah, head to my Scotland travel blog and use my detailed Badenoch travel guide to plan your trip. Next week, we'll continue our focus on Scottish stories, although we're changing our location and head back to the West Coast. I hope you'll tune in again. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. We're always keen to hear your feedback, so if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts of the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Turowskis, who's the co-producer and editor, and does the sound design. And to Kirsty Spain, who helps with transcripts and social media. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland, and it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.